Okay, we are continuing together our study in chapter 8 of our book, From the Garden of Eden to the Glory of Heaven. And we are considering together now the uh, features of the covenant. We have looked previously at the root of the covenant, which was the Abrahamic covenant, was the root out of which the old covenant grew. We looked at the content of the covenant. It was an if-then covenant. And uh, God says, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then. And he promised that he would make them a special treasure to himself above all people, that he would make them a kingdom of priests, and that he would make them a holy nation. And we saw that um, there were basically two periods in Israel's history where she uh, kept the covenant halfway decently. One was under Joshua, and the other was under David and Solomon. And uh, the rest of the time, they just really yo-yoed around regarding the obedience to this covenant. God, of course, kept his end of the bargain, and he certainly did treat them as a special nation. Uh, he certainly did uh, mediate through them as a kingdom of priests, his word to the nations. And uh, he certainly did keep them separate from the nations around him, around them, pardon me, uh, through um, the distinctives of their culture that grew out in the law that they lived by. And so we read in 1 Kings 8, verse 56, that there has not failed one word of all God's promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. So those three promises that God made in the then part of the covenant, God kept them. Now, today we want to talk about um, the features of the um, old covenant. And we want to just notice a couple of things about this. In fact, we're going to be looking at three distinctive features of the Old Covenant. And the first distinctive feature of the Old Covenant is that it was mediated through Moses. Now, when God made the Noahic Covenant, there wasn't any mediator between God and Noah. And when God made the Abrahamic Covenant, there wasn't any mediator between God and Abraham. But when God made the Old Covenant with Israel, he didn't make it directly with them. He made it through Moses a mediator. And of course, um, Jesus, of course, is the mediator of the new covenant. So there's this introduction of the idea of a mediator between God and the community with whom uh, he makes his covenant. And so the purpose of this mediator was in order to maintain distance between God and the old covenant community. You recall that when the covenant was made in Exodus chapter 19, God came down to the mountain and God told the people, stay back from the mountain. If you come close, you'll die. Only Moses is allowed to come up and speak to me. He'll go down and give my words to you. He'll take your words and he'll bring them to me. And so it says in Exodus 20 and verse 21, so the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. So Moses was, was this go-between. Now this stands in stark contrast to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And what he does is he says to us, come near. You know, Moses was saying to the children of Israel under the old covenant, stand back. And Jesus, as the mediator of the new covenant, is saying, come near. And we want to look at a couple of passages in relationship to that. First of all, we'll look at Ephesians chapter 2, the book of Ephesians chapter 2. 
we just look at these briefly because, you know, as we study the various covenants, it's also important for us to see not only the parallels, but also the contrasts that stand between these covenants. So in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13, notice here it says regarding the Gentiles that were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. It says in Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometime were far off are made near by the blood of Christ. So the effect of the new covenant, and of course the blood of Christ is the blood that ratified the new covenant, uh, is that people are drawn near to God. And we see this especially emphasized in the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews chapter 4, and in verse 16, we are told, Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, if, if we're not thinking like Jews, and we're not thinking in terms of the Old Covenant, this phrase, come boldly, we go, what's that about? You know, I don't have any problem waltzing up to God and having a chat with him. But if you understood that the nature of the old covenant is, don't you dare be bold. Stand back, keep your distance. And now Paul says, let's boldly approach God. Let's go to God's very presence and and stand before him. That was unthinkable to the Jew. Uh, He wasn't allowed in the temple and he sure wasn't allowed in the Holy of Holies. Uh, Only the priest could go in there. And then the high priest only once a year into the Holy of Holies. And when he went in there, they tied a rope around his foot in case God struck him dead. They could yard him out of there without going in there and getting killed themselves. And so um, God's holiness was dramatically emphasized in the Old Testament. And of course, the people were sinful and therefore uh, this distance was uh, the norm. But here we're told to approach God with confidence and not be afraid that he's going to strike us dead. And if you go to Hebrews chapter uh, 10, uh, verses 19 to 22, you may remember me preaching on this not too terribly long ago. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now we can be bold to actually go into the Holy of Holies. And you remember that when Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the curtain in the temple? It was torn from the top to the bottom and the way into the Holy of Holies was opened wide up. And so we have this tremendous contrast between the old covenant that said, keep your distance from God and the new covenant that says, come right into the very holiest presence of God with confidence. This boldness is not a cocky arrogance. It is a confidence based upon the fact that that which caused the separation between us and God has been fully dealt with. The nature of the old covenant is it wasn't redemptive, okay? It didn't remove the sin of the people between between God and them. And Hebrews 5 makes that very clear. They just offered sacrifices over and over again that could never take away sins, right? But now that Jesus has died and he's fully taken away our sins, there's no reason for us not to be in the immediate presence of God because of the fact that we're presented faultless before him. And uh, we're holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. 
And so that's the wonder of the new covenant and our mediator, as opposed to the old covenant and its mediator. Moses, mediator of the old covenant. Jesus, mediator of the new. Moses, keep back from God. Jesus, come into the very personal presence of God. Okay? So that's the first characteristic uh, of the old covenant, is that it was, it was uh, mediated through Moses and distance was the was the issue. The second uh, characteristic of the Old Covenant was the fact that both parties um, made commitments and both parties swore to die if they didn't keep the covenant. Now turn please to Exodus chapter 24, the book of Exodus chapter 24. Now, um, our memory verse today was in Exodus 19, right? Exodus 19, 5 and 6. That's when the Old Covenant was stated. And then, of course, it was um, um, mediated through Moses in the rest of chapter 19, chapter 20, chapter 21, chapter 22, chapter 23. That's when the Ten Commandments were given in chapter 20, and then the Book of the Covenant was given in the rest of 20, 21, 22, 23. Okay? So you have the Ten Commandments, you have the Book of the Covenant, and the Book of the Covenant is what contain the civil and the ceremonial law. The Ten Commandments, of course, on the stone tablets contained the moral law. And this should, this should um, uh, ring some bells with you guys, okay? That God made a very radical distinction between what He wrote the Ten Commandments on and what He wrote the civil and ceremonial law on. He wrote the Ten Commandments all by themselves separately on stone. And then all the civil and ceremonial laws were just written on skin or papyrus or whatever they wrote on back in those days, just a a disposable, uh, destructible material, showing one was permanent, the other one was going to pass away. And that's one reason why we say, among many other reasons, that um, the Ten Commandments are perpetual while the civil and ceremonial law pass away. Okay, So here we are in chapter 24 of Exodus, and this is the same event that started out in chapter 19. Okay, And uh, verse 20, chapter 24, verse 1, And God said to Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy the elders of Israel, and worship ye, notice, afar off. (laughs) And Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, neither shall the people go up with him. So you see this distance issue, right? And uh, that's why it was so shocking to hear, let's come boldly, right right up to the throne, right to the throne of grace. Verse 3, And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. So God says, Here's the terms. The people says, We accept the terms. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the hill in twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. So he wrote down the civil and the ceremonial law. Okay? called the Book of the Covenant. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. 
So the animals have been sacrificed. We now have the blood and it's split. Half of it hits the altar. Now the altar was symbolic of God's special presence and to sprinkle blood on God's altar was to sprinkle blood on God. Okay. Verse seven, and he took the book of the covenant. That's the civil and the ceremonial law. And he read in the audience of the people. That's everything that's in 21, 22, 23. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. So they reaffirmed it after hearing the terms. And Moses took the blood. Now notice what he did with it this time. The other half of it, he sprinkled it on the people. And said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. So you recall that when the Abrahamic covenant was done, God alone, as it were, took the blood on him, the blood oath, that um, when he went between the animals, uh, Moses did uh, strike that. Abraham didn't. And uh, so the blood was under the Abrahamic covenant, if you will, sprinkled on God and not on Abraham. But here, the blood is sprinkled on God and on the people. It's on the altar and on the people. Okay, so what you have here is um, uh, both parties, if you will, passing through the blood, swearing to die, that is to shed their blood, if they did not keep the covenant. And then, of course, it was ultimately sealed with a communal meal. Verse 12 um, Verse 9, it says, Then went up Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seven to the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. It was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven and his clearness, and upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hand. Also they saw God and did eat and drink. So they had this ceremonial uh, meal, which, of course, sealed the covenant. And so you recall that uh, when we looked at covenants in general, we saw that not only was there the oath sworn promise, but there was the sitting down and eating a meal together. Uh, and that meal um, was the declaration of both parties that they were at peace with each other. We're going to live with each other under the terms of the covenant that they had made. And notice, if you will, verse 12, and the Lord said to Moses, come up unto me into the mount and be there and I will give thee tablets of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. And of course, you know what that is. That's the Ten Commandments. So the book was different than the Ten Commandments. Okay. Now, together, they comprised um, the covenant and the will of God. Okay. So the Ten Commandments were incorporated into the covenant. Okay. And of course, the civil and ceremonial law were incorporated into the covenant. So um, anyway, this solemn pledge to keep the covenant bound both parties with a blood oath that they would forfeit uh, their lives if they did not keep uh, their end of the bargain. All right. The third characteristic of the old covenant that we want to look at is the sign of the covenant. Now, this gets to our memory verse today that I passed out to you. Uh, we said that the sign of the Noahic covenant was the rainbow. And we said this, the sign of the Abrahamic covenant was circumcision. And so now we come to the old covenant. What's the sign of the old covenant? 
The answer, the Sabbath. Okay, now let's turn to Exodus chapter 31. God is proceeding through the book of Exodus to give further instructions regarding, um, uh, in particular, the temple and its services and those who will um, serve in it and um, various furniture uh, and makeup that it's going to take. And then we come to Exodus 31 and and the issues of, of the old covenant are still being established and laid out in more detail. Um, and notice, if you will, Exodus 31, verse 13. Start out at verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily, or truly, my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. So he wasn't just saying one Sabbath day, every Sabbath day, every seventh day in perpetuity, all of them, that the Sabbath was going to be a continual sign between me and you of the covenant. Verse 14, you shall keep the Sabbath therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defiles it shall surely be excommunicated, put to death. That's, that's excommunication, right? Put out of the community. Everyone that defiles it shall surely be put to death. For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. So here we have uh, the method whereby you get cut off from the old covenant community. And the way you get cut off is by violating the sign. Now, you remember what God said about uh, any one of Abraham's descendants who wouldn't be circumcised? He said, they will be cut off from among the people. Uh, in in, in uh, Genesis 17, he was very clear. No circumcision, no covenant relationship. Anyone who's not circumcised is going to be cut off from the Abrahamic covenant. Well, here, anyone who doesn't rightly observe the Sabbath will be cut off from uh, the covenant. So verse 15, six days may work be done, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations, notice, for a perpetual covenant. And oftentimes the sign of the covenant is called the covenant, okay? And it's used by way of metonymy. Um, like we say, uh, I was reading Shakespeare last night. Well... You weren't reading Shakespeare. You're reading a book. Shakespeare's dead. He's not around and you can't read him anyway, right? But you're using the author by way of metonymy for the book, okay? And we do that all the time. And so they say that the Sabbath is the covenant. Um, he's just saying that the Sabbath is, is the sign of the covenant, okay? Verse 17, it is a sign. He says it again, verse 17. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So he goes all the way back to the creation ordinance, right? In, uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And he quotes that passage where the Sabbath was first established, and he says that's the basis for uh, the weekly Sabbath that we're implementing here. 
So the point is, is that the Sabbath existed from creation all the way up to this point in time simply as a moral law. Because you can see in Exodus chapter 16, pay attention now, Exodus chapter 16 and Exodus chapter 18, Israel observes the Sabbath. But it's not until Exodus 19 that the Old Covenant is implemented, and it's not until Exodus 20 that we have it incorporated in the, in the, in the codified Ten Commandments. And it's not until 31 that it's made a sign of the covenant. So my point is simply this, is that the Sabbath always existed as a moral law from creation, even before the fall. It was one of the moral laws that God gave. And um, it continued on as a moral law. It had stacked on top of it this additional significance of being a sign of the old covenant. When the old covenant went away, that additional significance was removed. But the moral dimension never changed. It just kept going on. Okay? And that's why the Sabbath is still binding today. Because it had a ceremonial aspect attached to it and taken away from it. But that doesn't mean the whole Sabbath itself became ceremonial. And when the ceremonial was taken away, the Sabbath was completely taken away because that's all it ever was. So, for example, you take the fifth commandment. What does it say? Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, which was Palestine. So you had a moral commandment, honor your father and mother, and you had a ceremonial aspect or a, a civil aspect attached to it. Well, when you know the land finally went away, because it never really was the land in the first place, uh, God says in Ephesians 6, 4, or 6, 1 to 4. Anyway, he says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the earth. So now the, 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 the promise part changes. The moral part's still the same, honor your father and mother. Uh, that's been there from the beginning. Uh, Cain and Abel were supposed to honor their father and their mother. Of course, Cain didn't. Um, and... Um, you know, fell into great sin because of that. Um, so my point is, is that you can go back in the book of Genesis and you can find all 10 of the 10 commandments there uh, stated and in force. The 10 commandments did not start when they were form formally, former, formally codified in, um, in the 10 commandments in, in Exodus 20. Uh, that's just where they were all put into one place. They were all written on stone. And what we find then is that um, like circumcision, uh, Sabbath keeping was established as a condition of the covenant. Whosoever did not keep the Sabbath would be cut off from among the people. Now, one of the purposes of this Sabbath observance was uh, to make the people of God separate from the surrounding nations. And it still has that purpose. I mean, you being here today, observing the Sabbath day, separates you from who? All the unsaved people. Where are they? They're sure not here. Okay? And the fact that you sanctify the Lord's day and set it apart still 
makes us, the new covenant community, a separate people from the world who has come out from the world and maintains our distinction from them. And one of the great distinctions that we as a new covenant community have from the world is that we keep the Sabbath and we worship God on his holy day, something the world does not do. And so the point is, is that this Sabbath observance was this weekly declaration that they were holy unto God, that they were God's special treasure. And the sign of the Sabbath was something that uh, was continually observed by the Israelites. Rather than a once-for-all symbol taken in the body, there was the ever-present potential for them to begin to stray from the Old Covenant vows. And so there had to be an ever-present recommitment, an ever-ongoing recommitment to that covenant every single week. Because there was always the if-then, and they were having problems with the then, and the Sabbath every week was designed to pull them back to the then, pull them back, pull them back, pull them back, to, to doing the if part so that they could experience uh, the then part. So the Sabbath uh, has abiding relevance. It just obtained an additional significance during that period of history, which came and went, but that didn't make the Sabbath day come and go um, as well. Now, <clears throat> that then is the, um, the characteristics, if you will, of the, or, the, or the special features of the Old Covenant. It was mediated by Moses uh, so that the people would maintain their distance from God. Both parties uh, pledged a blood oath to keep the covenant, and the sign of the covenant was a special significance attached to the Sabbath day. And the purpose of that, of course, was to keep the people separate from the nations around them and also to have a weekly reminder of the need to fulfill the if part of the covenant so they could enjoy the then part of the covenant. And so uh, we too, uh, even under the new covenant, um, need to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and he will receive us and he will be a people to us. So one of the great lessons we learn about the Old Covenant is that it was designed to keep Israel separate from the nations and keep them from mingling with them, learning their ways and being utterly corrupted by them. And as long as they obeyed the Old Covenant, they didn't have that pollution from the surrounding nations. And it's the same way with us. We too have to guard ourselves against becoming polluted by... Um, uh, inappropriate compromise with the world around us. And uh, we need to be holy and we need to be distinct. And so the primary lesson from the study of the old covenant is that God's people must be a holy people. And of course, that was the third term of the covenant, wasn't it? That you shall be to me uh, a holy people. And, um, God's people are at their strongest when they are the most distinct from the world and not when they are the most like it. You know, you've often heard churches say, well, you know, we've got to bring in all this worldly stuff so we can reach the kids. Um, in fact, it's by separation from that worldly stuff that you reach the kids. When you are like the world, then you have nothing to offer the world that's anything different from the world. It's just the world has really good rock and roll and we have really cheesy rock and roll. Okay, um, 
And so they have really good dances and, and drunken parties, and we have really cheesy dances and drunken and, 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 and parties where we drink Coke or something. And um, so it's, it's foolishness to try to be like the world, to reach the world. God always intended for his people to be separate from the world, uh, to be able to reach the world. All right. Well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the fact that under the new covenant, through our mediator, we're able to draw near with confidence into your very presence. Father, we thank you that under the new covenant, uh, Jesus uh, was sprinkled with the blood. And it was through his blood and his sacrifice that all was accomplished. And Father, we thank you that um, you have given to us um, your laws to help us to be separate and holy from the world. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand um, the nature of the Sabbath so that we don't become confused by antinomian arguments for its abrogation. The only thing that was abrogated about it is its old covenant uh, sign uh, nature, uh, certainly not its moral requirements or its perpetuity. And now, Father, bless us, we pray, in the hour to come. Fill us with your spirit and inhabit your temple, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.